Hello, and welcome to In All Things, a podcast of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a global movement of Evangelical Presbyterian churches. Thank you for joining us. I'm Rachel Joseph. Your host for In All Things is Dean Weaver, stated clerk of the EPC. Our prayer is that God uses Dean and his guests to both inform and inspire you about how God is working in and through the EPC. The motto of our family of churches is, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. Now, here's Dean. Welcome back to another edition of In All Things, a podcast of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. Thank you very much, Rachel, for your kind introduction as always, and we're grateful that you have taken the time to join us today. Now, we've been doing this for a number of months now. Our listenership is growing steadily, but you know, we could always a few use a few more likes on social media. If you could share this podcast with people in your church, family members, friends, and just get the word out there that we're having some great conversations about the ministries uh, that take place through the EPC. We've had conversations with authors, we've had conversations with staff, and a lot of leaders, and that will be the case today. We'll be talking with one of our rising stars, a leader in the EPC who has just humbly said yes to, to serving in a number of capacities that have been a huge blessing to the denomination, and I think you're going to enjoy getting to know him. But before we get into that, brief commercial announcement, as I sometimes do, as we lead up to our general assembly this summer that is going to be at Ward EPC Church in uh, Northville, Michigan, outside of Detroit. I hope that you'll take the time to come and perhaps even think of bringing your family or coming for an extended stay in what the tourist industry there calls pure Michigan. It is really a a lovely place to be during the summertime, and you and your family can enjoy some really extended time of beauty and rest and refreshment. There's a lot of great things online to check out if you just look at the uh, tourism industry at Michigan, uh, the Visitors Bureau, and so forth. You'll find some great stuff there. But at the General Assembly itself, you're going to get a kind of renewal and refreshment because our theme this year is based on X18, and it's called Recharge. And I don't know if there are too many of us that couldn't use a little bit of energy in recharging after what we've been through the last few years. So focusing on that passage of Scripture that says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And I'm not going to give any everything away, but here's just a couple of snippets of some things that might energize you during that time. Uh, we're going to have a conversation uh, between Sandy Wilson, who's a longtime EPC uh, faithful, pastor at Second Presbyterian Church in Memphis for years until he retired, and Vincent Baycoat, who is a New Testament professor, N.T. Wright scholar at uh, Wheaton College, on what does it mean to be a Christian citizen, how to understand uh, the nature of our faith in the highly charged political world in which we live, what is a faithful way that Christians can live out their walk with Jesus in light of our current political environment. That's going to be an incredibly helpful a conversation to help us navigate our way through what has uh, become an increasingly perilous time. On Thursday, which is one of the highlights of the assembly for me, we commission our world outreach global workers, 
and a good friend of mine, Marcelo Robles from Buenos Aires, Argentina, is going to be preaching. I just absolutely, uh, I would drive all the way to Michigan just to hear Marcelo preach. He is just unbelievable. He's going to bring us a message. Um, it'll be focused on our theme of the Holy Spirit's empowerment, which I think will be awesome. And we're going to have, I believe it's on Thursday, and this hasn't been nailed down just yet, but I'm pretty confident it's Thursday that we are going to be led in worship, not only by the great team at Ward Church, but they are going to be joined by uh, Zach Hicks, who is a prominent worship leader, wrote the book, The Worship Pastor, uh, is planting a church now down in Birmingham, Alabama, recently helped to lead um, the retreats for our pastors and their spouses, uh, an unbelievably gifted worship leader, thoughtful, really one of the best that the EPC has to offer. And so there's going to be some really top-notch stuff, not to mention guys, you know, like Ed Stetzer, maybe if you've ever heard of him, or um, you know, just people who come in and help us exegete the culture so that we can do the work of evangelism. And that really is going to be the focus of this General Assembly. If you would like to have your congregation be energized and take on a more evangelistic culture, this is the General Assembly for you. Drop what you're doing, respond. The online registrations are available now. You can go to epc.org and you can sign up and already begin to register. We already have a lot of people that have started to do that, and we encourage you to uh, be one of those early adopters if you could. Okay, so let's turn our attention today to the conversation with my friend in the studio. Joe Kim is joining us today, and Joe is um, from Palmyra, New Jersey, and he and his wife, Emmy, have been married for a little over 11 years. They've got two kids. They have not yet branched out into the wonderful area of dogs and cats, and he's not quite sure whether they're going there yet or not, but it may also be because of their really engaged lifestyle. Joe is a, a church planter in the EPC and is working with a core group of planting a church in a unique way in the city of Philadelphia, just across the river from Palmyra. And we're going to really do a deep dive into that because uh, Joe and his wife have been through the assessment process. We want to hear about what that looks like because the average person probably doesn't really know much about an assessment. But Joe also serves in a couple of other capacities. One, he is on our Ministerial Vocations Committee, which is the group that oversees pastors across the denomination and cares for them and kind of gives guidance to how those pastors are to not only be ordained, but how to serve well. He also serves on our Revelation 7-9 team, which is looking at how each of our congregations can uh, really reflect the one, three, and five-mile radius around their churches in the same way that uh, we see in the Bible in Revelation chapter 7-9. And then uh, finally, he has agreed, of which I'm super, super grateful, and has consented to serve as our incoming moderator-elect. And this is the first time that word has gotten out, that he is going to be our moderator-elect coming this summer and then moderator the following summer. So, Joe, uh, welcome to In All Things. Yes. Hello, Dean. Thank you so much. It's glad to be here. Oh, it's a delight to have you here. and We really appreciate it. So so let's go back into the um, the church planning, Joe, because that is, I know, where your heart is and, and you and Emmy have uh, really drawn closer together around this because I, people maybe don't realize it, but when church planner goes through an assessment process, the spouse also goes through yes. an assessment process. So could you talk to us about what an assessment process looks like and what that was like for you and Emmy? Actually, the funny thing was before assessment, so once I was told that I needed to go through assessment and my wife and myself, I started asking other church planters, what could I expect? 
And the funny thing was, instead of telling me what was going to happen, they kept saying, oh, it was really helpful for my life. I learned so much about myself. It's going to be fantastic for you. And then they would stop. <laughs> and so, of course, you know, I wondered, is there some conspiracy to keep it all secret? Right. But that's actually not the case. What it is, is they look into your life, your marriage, and how you live the Christian life, and they assess whether you're ready to plant a church. Is church planting, which is highly stressful as it is, going to destroy your marriage? Is it going to cause, you know, exacerbate moral failure or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. And they want to assess, do you have enough support and resources and people in place to make sure that you're going to be okay and you have a chance of making this actually work, right? right? And so uh, we went there with the other couples and I, we all agreed that we came out feeling affirmed, blessed, but then when they critiqued us, that was so helpful in terms of our life, our strategy, our approach to church planting. They talked about all of this. They connected us with coaching and various wonderfully well, a lot of wise people to be able to come alongside of us so that we never feel like we're planting a church alone. The idea that they would kind of look that deeply into your life in such personal ways, I think, is terrifying for some people. Sure. Were you initially a little apprehensive about that? Oh, absolutely. Dean, I got to tell you, I spent about a year, once that, that happened, I spent about a year doing self-exploration, studying, praying, and trying to make sure that when people critique me to that level, it's not an existential crisis. Right. But what I found when I went there was that's not, that's not what happened. I didn't feel judged. I felt helpfully critiqued. Wow. And that that was the that's, that's a huge difference. That's super helpful. Mm. Right? Super helpful oh, because absolutely. we put up our defenses against something like that and yet that's designed to help you thrive. Mm. Not it's not a teardown, it's a build up. Sure. Right? Sure. And um and you told me before that that actually the irony was going through that together with your wife, it actually has made your marriage stronger. And it hasn't it, it didn't undo anything. It actually built up that's true. So what had happened was my wife, Emmy, she came in with me, had a lot of the same feelings, like, are they going to look how deeply into our lives are they going to look, right? And what had happened was she came out with a greater sense and sharper vision of what she's supposed to be doing, married to a church planter, right? and in the larger scope of ministry together, right? right? So she knows now better how to help me, and I know better how to do things like help her have a real Sabbath relate to her, not just as a, as a minister, but as a husband. So the family then becomes the first ministry that everything's going to flow out of there. If you don't have a healthy family as a church planner, you are never going to make yes. it very far. Yes, it's yeah. so true. Wow, that's really important to know. Mm. I, I don't think most people realize the depth of, of the kind of support that you get. Because honestly, mm. a, a pastor who, who goes through the ordination process and gets placed or is called to a local church, mm. I don't think that they experience that level mm. of support coming alongside of them. And certainly church planning is a unique calling that requires that extra level of support, no doubt. One of the things I'm learning as I travel around the country, and I was just with our national church planning leadership team a couple mm. of weeks ago, mm. is that Across the landscape of the United States, mm. it, particularly in Reformed circles, uh, the EPC is, I think, now looked to as kind of the premier place to do church planning, and it has largely to do 
with Shane and his team and how they do assessments. And mm. that is just seen as being kind of the gold standard now. Mm. And that's been your experience. It was my experience. Shane, the, the whole Aspen Grove church planting assessment was absolutely fantastic. And I would like heartily recommend anyone that's going through assessment, they should really go with them. It's a standalone, but it's part of the EPC. It's in the mm-hmm. Presbyterian of the West and connected to the EPC, much like the Go Center is connected to the EPC. And, mm-hmm. and so it's one of those things that grew up out of the EPC and is part of the EPC, but has its own standalone quality so that they can be adaptive and do some of the things that they need to do in serving people, including from other denominations who come across to, for help. So that's usually helpful. So tell us a little bit about the church you're hoping to plant. I mean, you're, you're looking in Philadelphia, which uh, the funny thing is um, Joe and I grew up actually not far from one another. In, in getting to know one another, we started talking a little bit, and we probably went to the same dances. I'm a little older, so I think maybe I, I probably went to the dances a few years before he did. Um, I was more in the disco era. He might have been in a different different time frame. But, but we did grow up in the same area, mm-hmm. and I know Philadelphia is a hard place to plant a church. So what are you looking at and where are you hoping to, to go? So yes, Philadelphia is a pretty difficult place. I grew up there. You know, we grew up actually just a few miles from each other. And I was blown away once I realized, oh my gosh, we actually lived pretty close. Right. So Philadelphia itself is uh, a tough city. That's its reputation. I think what's happening is, and I'm sure you can attest to this, people's initial walls are high. But if you can gain a sense of trust, they, they trust you. And loyalty is a big thing to Philadelphians. Really you will gain friends for life. And they'll fight for you. Absolutely. Yeah, if, if That's you got, actually If you got that loyalty, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. I think I was in my first gang when I was in about third grade. Oh, my goodness. Um, and, and, you know, <laughs> we had names for our gangs, and you were loyal to that group. And, mm-hmm. you you know, if one person in that group was assaulted, then the rest of us all stepped up. You know, that was crazy to think about that looking back on it now. But loyalty and, and that kind of support is big. Sure, sure. So we chose Philadelphia because that's home, yeah. right? The church idea, the vision actually had to change several times. So one of the ideas was, here, let me tell you the story. Before church planting, I was in a New York church, out of bounds. It was an RCA church. And what had happened was we were ministering to the uh, Queens area. And the senior pastor, Korean person, wonderful person, right? We got along pretty well. And he pulls me into his office and he said, Joe, I know that you're bringing in a lot of people from the neighborhood outside non-Koreans, so on and so forth. But you have to understand that this is a Korean church and it needs to stay that way because we need to minister to the Korean community that's here. And he had every right to say that because sure. they're, they're, that kind of church does need to exist. But I also realized that once he said that, I could not stay uh, long term. Shortly after that happened, that's when George Floyd was murdered. Oh, wow. And friends of mine who I'd worked with from Urban, uh, there were several, Urban Promises, the name of a, of a ministry in Camden, New Jersey, which is right outside Philadelphia. Camden so, is, is tough, man. Camden is, is a super tough, tough place. It is yeah. like one of the toughest places out there. Sure, sure. The scholars actually go there to try to study Camden just to figure out uh, how to solve the problem of a, a deteriorating inner city. And so what had happened was a lot of friends from that ministry and other places, African-American friends, called me up. We started talking about these things, and the idea of a church plant came up. So we prayed about it. We really thought about it. And at the end of, of the prayer time, we decided to let's go ahead and plant the church. Mm. But as time went on, I realized that if I'd stayed with these people, 
I was going to have to leave the EPC because they were not Presbyterian. Uh-huh. My wife and I talked about it. We thought, of, we prayed about it. And in the end, we decided to amicably part ways. So, yeah. and it was better for, for them as well. That those guys, they started a parachurch ministry and it's thriving right now. Mm. And it, it caused us to uh, rethink what exactly we're trying to do. Right after that, that's when the anti-Asian hate crimes started skyrocketing through, through the roof. Right. So in New York alone, it's almost 3,000% increase over the past two years. These are violent crimes. People are literally dying, and they typically tend to be targeting older people and women. In addition to that, there's an assistant DA, Long Island assistant DA in our church, and we were speaking with him, and he mentioned to us just recently the number of home invasions for Asian Americans, particularly Koreans, in Long Island has also skyrocketed. Mm. I, I don't remember the number, but it was a really high number compared to even last year. And so we have Asian people arming themselves. We have uh, people are scared. They're really scared. And this is true not just in New York, although that's where the highest spike is. It's actually across the nation. And so uh, one of the things that uh, I was uh, thought uh, thinking about was, A, if I really want to minister to people that are non-Korean, I need to understand who I am as an Asian American how I fit in, and how can I figure out how best to show hospitality as an Asian American. That's what Sarah Shin calls ethnic curiosity. Yes. You've got to be curious about your own ethnicity so that you can be available to be hospitable towards people who are from a different ethnic background than you. Yes. And in addition to that, that would help me address what's going on in the Asian community. Right. Because the first people that started calling me to make sure I was okay after the Atlanta massacre, after all these, these spikes in hate crimes, it was all of my black clergy friends. Mm. And they, they wanted to make sure. And I was thinking, wow, we have to do more as Asians than simply keep our head down, don't look to the left or the right, and just keep working. That's typically the Asian survival strategy in the United States. Mm-hmm. And that's not going to work anymore. So building relationships with other people of color, white people, black people, Latino people, so on and so forth, building roots in the community, this was really important. And that began to form the vision of what we're hoping to do in Philadelphia. Well, and as a follower of Jesus, mm. you're compelled to work towards a holy community, you know. Absolutely. Uh, you're obviously serving on our 7-9, and um, as I look at the scripture, we see God's revelation of what his intended community looks like, mm. not just in terms of the promise to Abraham in Genesis 12 or the kind of consummation of that in Revelation 7-9, but uh, the prayer that we would pray, that kingdom come. Mm. And he shows us what the kingdom looks like, and we're supposed to pray that that sure. kingdom comes and step into that reality. And that's, that's exactly what you're hoping to do. Sure, sure. So talk to me a little bit about, you know, you're looking at trying to reach younger people uh, in Philadelphia. There's a lot of younger people. My daughter and son-in-law are living in, in Philadelphia, and they have a lot of friends in that area who are moving back into the city. But there's a particular uh, ethos, if you will, for the young urban a multicultural person who's living in Philadelphia. And if you're not tuned into that vibe, you're, you're probably going to walk right past them and not be able to ever reach them. So describe a little bit of, a, of the breakdown, if you would, of the DNA 
of what the typical person you're trying to reach in Philadelphia uh, uh, is like so that uh, those who are listening can get a sense of uh, what missiologists call contextualization. Uh, what, what is the context of the people that you're trying to reach? Things that matter to them, things that are important to them, values that they have that, uh, that the gospel actually speaks to. Absolutely. So uh, we call that exegeting the area, right? And so we spend a lot of time thinking about... We know that you went to seminary when you say something Oh, like sure. That. Absolutely. Right. So the idea is we wanted to take a look at who we're going to minister to, but we decided long-term. I can answer that question, but the idea was uh, we had to take an earlier step than that. So the first part of the exegesis for us was, why are people leaving churches in droves right now? Why are pastors quitting at a phenomenal rate? I believe it's like one in, in three or almost one in four. It's not just churches then, it's businesses, the great resignation, so on and so forth. And we believe that there is a profound breakdown in community that started way before COVID, but COVID like blew the lid off it of accelerated everything. That. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I said COVID didn't create anything, but it took what was there, shone a light on it and turned the heat up and accelerated it. Sure. So we believe that if that's the case, the first thing we need to do is to reestablish community. And so what we did was called like various people who might be interested that I knew before. And there was a lot. So Dean, there was like churches. Uh, there was a pastor who's retiring and he called me up and asked, hey, would you consider just taking over our ministries so that I'm leaving? In fact, my old church that I pastored for, for five years, I was at that church for 10 years, they called me up and asked, we're, we're leaving our denomination. We want to join the EPC. Can you help us? And then secondly, can you plant us simply alongside of you? And so there are about three churches that actually did some, something like that. Various people who simply heard what we were doing and wanted to get on board. And so the strategy then became, if we build the community before we ever think about building the institution, the institution has a better chance to live, mm. right? And then secondly, you have something that the people we minister to reach out to evangelize, we have something to bring them to. So the strategy then becomes plant what we call table groups. Mm. And we're, they're simply house churches, if you will. Okay. We have one. It's about 20 people right now. We want to have the table groups we consider to be 10 to 20 people at a house. Call them table groups because they center around food, fellowship, fun. Right. And you don't have to be a Christian even. You don't have to believe before you belong. Mm. And it's a wonderful way to onboard people, not into an institutional church, even though they know we're a church plant. It's to onboard people into community. And from that group, intentionally reach out to disciple people, invite them into a discipleship relationship. And through discipleship, that's how we're going to grow the church, and that's how we're going to spread Christianity. Mm. And so we want to have three of these table groups by this time next year. That will triangulate for us exactly the area that we want to focus on. And that's where we're going to plant what people would consider that's, that's our church. Okay. You, it's just super strategic, um, super thoughtful. And, you know, the thing about church planning that I'm learning is that there's no one size fits all. Mm. It, you guys are entrepreneurial just by the way you think. And your approach to this, which I love, which is starting with community and then looking at institution, make sure that what people are connected to is actually the church. Because the church obviously is not the institution. The institution can serve 
the church, the institution can help facilitate the church, but the church obviously is the body of Christ. Mm, and uh, you're focusing on that first, which is beautiful. If, if someone is thinking about uh, being a part of a table group or starting a movement along the lines of what you've just described, any uh, counsel or advice that you would give to them at the onset before? Because if someone's listening to this and says, that's really what I've long desired, and I think I'd like to move out into something similar, what, what early counsel would you give them before they take another step? I would counsel them to come speak to someone, probably me or someone, someone, if, if someone wanted to start a table group, right? So the leader would have to explain to them that we are building a community around Christianity. So we're upfront about that. Right. So even if they're not Christian, it's okay. So long as they understand this is what the community centers around. Right. You don't want to bait and switch. Exactly. Exactly. We're upfront with them. And the, and the idea is that we can have deep discussions. We do have Bible studies at these, these table groups. We, the way we do it is an interactive sermonizing, okay. right? So well, you got to unpack that for a oh, second. So all it is, is, and you know who I learned this from? I learned it from Jerry Iamiri. There you go. It, it was, it's an amazing thing. So what happens is he would preach a sermon, but at each point he would stop and he would open it up for questions. And then what had happened was everyone was involved thinking through the sermon as it goes along. So you couldn't call it a sermon anymore. It may interactive sermon. We just simply call them Bible studies. Right. And it's fantastic because you're, you're constantly asking the people there to be involved as we go through the Bible study. But it's more than just, well, this person, you know, gives an opinion and this person shares a little bit. It's pretty guided and focused. Yeah. Yeah, and it was fantastic the way. And that's, you know, if you follow um, the religious traditions in the Philadelphia area, of course, mm. William Penn was a Quaker. Mm. I grew up with friends' meeting houses, you know, I could walk oh. to from where I lived. Yeah. And the Quakers had a similar notion mm. of how to gather, uh, maybe a little less structured than that. Mm. Uh, but the idea that it was uh, to be interactive, mm. people each participated in uh, the discussion was mm. kind of seminal to their gathering together. Mm. So. Uh, it's just interesting that that's indigenous to the area uh, that you're actually trying to plant, which is kind of cool. Well, one of the things I love about the fact that you've said yes uh, to being our moderator elect is that you bring with you this background as a church planner, because if we're going to take that strategic priority seriously, which I believe we are, mm. having leaders at a national level mm. who can infuse that kind of thinking, strategic planning, DNA into the organization as a whole is critical. And it also helps inform your role on the Ministerial Vocations Committee because that's, I think we have 57 church plants right now in the EPC. And those are the ones we know of. Mm. We, we know that there are churches that have church plants that haven't <laughs> told us. Uh, so we think there's more than that. But the ones we can count, we think we have about 57. Wow. And for a denomination of 630 congregations, you know, we're getting close to that eight, nine percent range. Uh, and we'd love to be at closer to 10 percent because that's always going to be, I think, for us where that kind of growth edge is. And the most important part about that, in my view, Joe, is that what you're doing is you're creating through relationships around the table, mm. you're creating the context for evangelism mm. and relational evangelism is exactly where we need to be positioned going forward in the next number of years because that's that's where the gospel is breaking out. 
So any thoughts about uh, becoming the moderator elect or any uh, prayer requests that you have or something like that? I mean, people should pray for you because that means you're going to have to work closer with me. And I know that's a, <laughs> that's a fearsome uh, thing, but any, any, uh, any thoughts as you step into that kind of bringing all of the things that God has been doing in you and, and bringing those to bear at a national level, anything else you want to? Sure. So a f- real funny thing real quick is that Dean, when you called me and you said, are you, first thing you said was, are you sitting down? <laughs> and then the second thing when you said is you, you asked me to consider prayerfully being uh, moderator elect. And I said, of the denomination? <laughs> I'm like, oh, wow. And so it took me a while to process exactly what just happened there. I, I was uh, uh, deeply surprised. And I thought long and hard about it. I asked my old discipler. I asked like a lot of people I trusted. We talked a lot about this. Can we actually do this? And ultimately what was decided was, I'm here to help. I love this denomination. This denomination, yeah, it has, you know, we have to work on people of color, like, you know, inclusion and those kind of things. But um, I've been so blessed by the people here, the ethos here. This really is home for me. And if I could help in any way, moving the needle positively, helpfully, gainfully for the denomination, even in the least bit, I feel like it's important to try. Yeah. And so that's uh, it's a big reason why why uh, we agreed, yeah. uh, my wife and I. Yeah. Well, that's a big part of why I said yes to being the stated clerk. Uh, very similar kind of reasons, and oh. um, yeah. You know, hopefully, the Lord takes care and honors all of those intentions and does something with us beyond what we could probably ever do on our own, for sure. I think we could each say, let's just blame Jerry I. Amiri, <laughs> because because um, he and I were in a conversation where I said, Jerry. I'm looking for some younger leaders. I'm looking for, we haven't had anybody from the Presbytery of the East as a moderator for years. So mm. I'd love to find somebody from the Presbytery of the East. I'd love to have someone younger. I'd love to have someone who's, um, a, you know, a strategic thinker who just loves the EPC, but is willing to help us think in ways that perhaps will stretch and push us. And And he's the one that uh, mentioned you and, and having met you through the MVC, I was like, oh my gosh, I love his spirit. I love his humility. I love the way he, what he brings to this. This could be really awesome. So thank you for praying. Thank you for saying yes. Thank you for serving. And uh, we'll, uh, if anybody wanted to get in touch with you about uh, this uh, table fellowship that you guys are doing, how might someone reach out to you? Do you have an email that you could give out so people could reach you? Sure. I'll give, I'll give two things. The website is hopefilly.org. Okay. That's simple enough. Right. And then my email praise song at gmail.com okay. praise song one word so right. my my first uh you know iteration when i first became christianity of ministry was i was i was a praise leader okay. and so that, that that email i jumped on it once uh it became available and there you go. i've had it ever since easy to remember yeah, sure. excellent well joe thank you so much for the time with us today we're so grateful for you and and for emmy saying yes to the lord and to serving the epc so thank you Thank you, Dean. Thank you so All right. Much. Well, my friends, I hope you've enjoyed today's conversation as much as I have, and it's actually whet my appetite for more conversations with Joe, and I can tell you I'm really excited about the opportunity to work with him over the next number of years on the national leadership team, and I'm looking forward to the rest of you getting to know him better as well. You will be as richly blessed as I am, and I'm confident of that and grateful for it. But let's close out, as we often do, uh, with that word from God's word, which is the good word that reminds us of of the fact that he is the one who is sovereign over all things. You see, the sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. 
for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things. There's no exception to this, my friends. All things hold together. For he is the head of the body, the church, our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we wish you blessings, my friends, as you go out into your day and share this good word with others. And join us next time for another edition of In All Things in the EPC. Grace and peace be with you. Thank you again for joining us. On behalf of Dean and the entire team, we hope you will join us for our next episode of In All Things. For more information about the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, including a directory of local churches, online resources, and much more, visit our website at www.epc.org. I'm Rachel Joseph. I pray you have an overwhelming sense of God's presence in all things today.